evening and welcome to the Mind Behind Leadership live on talkradio.nyc. My name is Graham Dobbin and every week we speak with real leaders and entrepreneurs from a variety of fields about their own personal journeys. We explore what makes a successful leader, the type of hurdles that they overcome, and obviously gain some real-life insights. Now, tonight, we're incredibly lucky. We don't just have someone who's a great leader. We've got someone who's seen as a world leader in their field, and that field just happens to be helping making other people successful. Tonight, we have Dr. Tony Alessandra, and he's been described as having a streetwise, college-smart perspective on business. He was raised uh, here in New York City in the housing projects, and he rose eventually to uh, having a successful career as a graduate professor of marketing, an internet entrepreneur, a business author, and a Hall of Fame keynote speaker. He earned a BBA from Notre Dame, an MBA from the University of Connecticut, and his PhD in marketing from the Georgia State University. But there's more. There's a lot more. He's also a prolific author of 30 books which have been translated into, wait for this, 50 foreign languages. The books include uh, the newly, newly revised The New Art of Managing People, Charisma, pl The Platinum Rule, which we will no doubt speak about this evening, and The Collaborative Selling and Communicating at Work. Dr. Alessandra was also inducted into the NSA Speakers Hall of Fame, and in 2012, Dr. Tony was voted as the number one world top communication guru. Wow. Good evening, Dr. Tony Alessandra. Well, thank you for having me on the show, Greg. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for a New Yorker being prepared to speak to a Scotsman sitting in New York live on talkradio.nyc. Um, one of the things I've seen written about you uh, on regular is that you came from the housing projects here, here in the city and rose up. How did that journey start for you? Well, uh, I lived in uh, the Chelsea area of New York uh, on 26th Street between 8th and 9th Avenue. There's those four big uh, yeah, yeah. housing project buildings. I lived there. Uh, mm. When we moved from there, we moved to uh, sort of the Bensonhurst, Coney Island section of Brooklyn, mm -hmm. and then eventually to Jersey City and uh, the Jersey Shore, Toms River, New Jersey. So first 18 years of my life, New York City, Brooklyn, Jersey, uh, as you said, uh, then went out to uh, South Bend, Indiana for four years uh, to Notre Dame, uh, back to the University of Connecticut in Storrs, Connecticut. Then a uh, couple of years in Pennsylvania where I was teaching at Susquehanna University, which was a sort of a, an Amish town. It really wow. was crazy. Somebody who grew up in New York City to be in an <laughs> Amish town, you know, where every Saturday uh, a horse and buggy would come up with all the vegetables, uh, et cetera, in the bank. Uh, quite a, an eye-opener. Uh, then we, uh, I moved to California for a year, then to Georgia for my PhD, Georgia State University in Atlanta, three years. Then moved out here out here being San Diego uh, in 1976 uh, to take a job as a, an assistant professor of marketing at the University of San Diego. Uh, taught there until December of 78 when I decided to sort of cut out on my own and become a full-time professional speaker. So that's kind of the background. But even though I've been away from New York for a long time, I am a dyed-in-the-wool New Yorker. 
you never take it out of me. That, that, that's kind of something that we've probably got in common. You can take the Scotsman out of Scotland, but you, we're always going to be Scots, and that's it. Yeah. I'm, I'm really curious, how do you go from a, being a professor at a university to being a professional speaker? What's that leap like? Well, it, uh, well, here's an interesting thing. So when I was out in California in 1972, I, uh, just for that one year, I taught professional sales at Cal State Fullerton, one of the universities there. Mm -hmm. And one of the students, one of my students came up to me and he showed me this, this test that he had taken called the, uh, the strong vocational test. And basically it, it, it told you what occupations you would be best at. And he said, hey, it's free, and it's free for faculty. And I said, I'm going to go take it. I, I really want to see what, what they say about me. So I took it. I got the results back. Number three, there's a whole bunch, but I'm just going to yep. give you the top three. Number three was uh, marketing and merchandising. Whoa, yeah, that's me. Number yep. two, sales. That's me. Number one, I said, this is, this is ridiculous. It's totally wrong. Uh, and I filed it away. So I'm going to come back to that. Uh, when I went for my uh, PhD, uh, my doctoral dissertation chairman was a gentleman named Dr. David Schwartz. Dr. David Schwartz was a multi-million best-selling author of a book called The Magic of Thinking Big. It was a book that I read as a teenager, had an in yep. incredible impact on me. One of my, my top three books, uh, you know, from my childhood. And uh, when he decided uh, and accepted that he would be my doctoral dissertation chairman, I went out to Georgia State. Uh, he also was, at the time, a professional speaker. He was speaking maybe 100 times a year, mostly for Amway, uh, big <laughs> Amway meetings. Yep because they were a big buyer of his book. So I guess that kind of sort of subconsciously, I'm looking at that and I'm saying, wow. Uh, well, Georgia State is a major urban business university. Now it's beyond that, but, but it really was a big business university. Uh, and whenever calls would come in from the community of Atlanta, big, urban city. Uh, if it was a marketing request, it would go to the marketing department. And if it was a sales request, it came to me. So that's how uh, I started really in 1974, going out and, uh, you know, after I finished all my coursework, going out and doing some sales consulting, uh, it led to sales training. And even in my sales training, people would say, hey, could you come to my company or my trade association, and could you speak on that subject to my group? So anyway, for the next couple of years while I was writing my dissertation, all the way through, let's say, May, June of 1976, because May is, uh, the end of May of 76 is when I finished my, my uh, PhD, uh, I was starting to do training and mostly sales training, came out to San Diego, decided to also do some speaking. And in September of 1978, the dean of the School of Business at the University of San Diego gave me an ultimatum. 
And he said, Tony, you are either going to be a full-time faculty member or you are going to be a full-time speaker. You can't do both, which I disagreed with because I was doing both and doing it well. Uh, but he, he did make me make a choice. And since at that point I had been teaching uh, at the university level eight years, I said, you know what, I'm going to put my resignation in. I'm going to go out and start speaking professionally, uh, which I did starting January of 1979. So that's kind of how it, I, I got led into the speaking field. Now, one last piece here. Uh, back in the early 90s, I decide uh, I got a, a really interesting scanning machine and I started scanning all my documents, the paper documents into PDF uh, digital copies. And what do I find? You know where I'm going with this? Yeah, I think you might. I think I might do. Yes. Yes, I find the strong vocational. Number three, <laughs> marketing and merchandising. Number two was sales. Now, listen to what number one was professional speaker. But at the time, it wasn't even in my frame of reference in 1972. But is that amazing that it, it picked that out? before I even realized that that was something that I would even consider or do or be successful in. Do you think there's a, there's a train of thought when we, when we see something that maybe should be for us, we kind of dismiss it, but it's there in our, our unconscious and it is moving through. Do, do you prescribe to that? I do. I do. Uh, and maybe there was that subconscious, you know, yep. my number one was professional speaker <laughs> and, uh, uh, it made me, maybe it made me recognize the opportunities that came in front of me, like with David Schwartz being a speaker and, uh, you know, the, the requests that I was getting to do some sales consulting and training that led to speaking. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I never, uh, never in my frame of reference, but things led to it and, uh, realized that I was quite good at it, but, but there was a big turning point, even in my speaking career. So I go out in 1979 and I am now a full-time professional speaker, uh, in, in mid, actually it was early 1981, I believe it was one of the most incredible professional speakers, a gentleman named, uh, Bill Gove, Bill Gove was the very first president of the National Speakers Association back in the early 70s. Yep. Bill Gove comes up to me and he said, Tony, put me in a little headlock. He said, Tony, you, uh, you're off stage. You are funny. You are uh, mischievous. You are a New York Italian. Uh, and on stage, you are coming across too professorial. He said, why don't you allow that New York edge come out on stage and see where it will lead? And, uh, you know, it was then that I, I allowed my personality to really come out. And it was an explosive, like a shooting star success, because that was in, in 1982. In 1985, just three years later, I was inducted into the National Speakers Association Speakers Hall of Fame. It was that yeah. dramatic uh, 
a difference in my career. So what was the difference in the type of uh, events or gigs or, or what, what were you doing differently in that three years to what you'd been doing for, you know, five or six years previously? You know, I, I, I was, I believe, doing pretty much the same thing. It was just my onstage presence that got more laughs, that, uh, uh, you know, allowed me to connect more with people, allowed them to say, you know, this is a, this is a down-to-earth guy, you know, not one of these polished professional speakers who, you know, doesn't do anything wrong. I mean, when I let my New York come out, uh, it was, imagine a polished speaker this happening to, because it wouldn't. Uh, but, you know, because of my style, I would stop and I'd say, wait a second. I'd say this to the audience, wait a second. What was I talking about? And somebody would yell out what I was talking about. And I would say, yeah, that, that's it. All right. And I would go on and they would, you know, laugh and applaud and whatever. No issue whatsoever. Uh, and, and, but I started getting more referrals, more repeat business, uh, bigger audiences, and, and uh, doing more international work then. So it really... It really was a big, there were, there were two things in my career that I think uh, turbocharged it. One was what Bill Gove said to me, which was in 81, and, you know, uh, a few years later, the Hall of Fame. But in 80, it was either 86 or 87, one of my colleagues, a gentleman named Lane Longfellow, Dr. Lane Longfellow, incredible speaker, uh, living here in San Diego at the time, although he really wasn't from San Diego, he just lived here for maybe two or three years, he shows me a video. Now, up to that point, all speakers had audio cassette okay. demo tapes. We used to send these audio cassette demo tapes to people. Uh, but remember, I'm a New Yorker. I'm a visual speaker, Italian. Uh, and of course, the audio doesn't show my body language and facial expressions. I look at his video, which was the first demo video in the National Speakers Association, and I said, this is the future. I immediately went out and created one, and my career for the next three or four years, every year, my revenue doubled. It, it wow. was that dramatic a difference, because now people not only could hear me, they could see me. So uh, those were two major uh, uh, wow. So, I, we're going to just take a very short break, but after the break, I'm, I'm going to be really curious about what do you think technology can do now for the likes of speakers, communicators, trainers, facilitators, where we can go with that. And we'd really love to dig in a little bit about your interest and how you got interested in the psychology of selling and the psychology behind business. Um, you're listening to The Mind Behind Leadership with me, Graham Dobbin. We're live from New York City on talkradio.nyc, and we're speaking with Dr. Tony Alessandra. We'll be right back after these. You're listening to The Talking Alternative Network.
run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. you a conscious co-creator are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness i'm sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant and on my show the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity we will touch upon all these topics and more listen live at our new time on thursdays at 12 noon eastern time that's the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity thursdays 12 noon on talkradio.nyc Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Thank you for listening to The Mind Behind Leadership, and we're speaking with uh, Dr. Tony Alessandra. Just before we go on to the technology part, I just want to pick up on something you mentioned earlier. Um, how difficult was it, how difficult a choice was it to give up a job after eight years to do something completely different? There'll be a lot of people, we all get opportunities, not everybody takes them. I'm just wondering how that felt to actually make that choice. It was a difficult choice, I can tell you that. Mm. Being a college prof, first of all, I taught three courses, three classes a semester, uh, which was nine hours a week plus five hours of office time, which was what I had to do. So imagine, I'm a job 14 hours a week. Of course, there's prep. Uh, and uh, assistance, uh, all my materials, uh free books. I mean, it really was a cushy uh, job to leave that and then have to do all that for myself, my own uh, health insurance and disability and everything that the college was giving me. Uh, it was, uh, it was difficult, but uh, you know, I, I knew what I was making while I was a college prof, I was actually making more money speaking. Mm -hmm. So when I made that transition, it wasn't like I really was losing, I was losing a little bit of money, obviously my teaching, yep. uh, my teaching uh, salary, uh, and then had to pick up all those additional costs. So it was, uh, was a little uh, difficult and challenging. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I pride myself on is my focus. And I decided, let me block everything else out. Let me put my blinders on and focus on making this work. Yeah. And, uh, and I did. So it really, you know, sometimes you got to uh, uh, step off the cliff, so to speak, and hope mm -hmm. that the drop is not that, that great. <laughs> And it, it, normally, it normally isn't as big as we might think it might be. Right. Um, I, also, I just wonder if there was anything that you lost. You, 
Um, we've spoken about you coming from the, the projects in 26th Street in New York. All of a sudden, you're a professor. Well, not all of a sudden. I mean, you've worked really hard to get there, but you are a professor at university. And that must have felt like a world away from, from, from where you started. And now you were giving that up. Did that ever come into it? So not just financially, but also maybe emotionally. Well, uh, it, it didn't bother me. It certainly bothered my, my wife at the time, uh, my ex-wife. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it did bother her because she, yeah. she did like the, uh, the prestige yeah. of being uh, a college professor's wife and, you know, all the events that take place. But, uh, you know, my mother was uh, a driving force in my life. My mother pushed and pushed me for uh, education. That's why I went all the way through and, and mm -hmm. not that she pushed me to get a PhD, but pushed me to, to, to get educated. And my mother, uh, you know, I paraphrase this, but my mother always taught me to go the extra. Now, most people would say mile, but my mother said, go the extra inch and basically the extra inch was constant daily self-improvement yep. learn another word walk another step give one more uh, uh compliment to somebody uh you know whatever it was improve each area of my life just a little bit each and every day it's so simple going the extra inch and she said you know when you go enough extra inches, guess what? You've gone the extra mile. And so I have been driven my entire life, including, I mean, today still, driven for constant self-improvement, always attempting to improve myself every way possible. I'm wondering, we speak to leaders almost on a daily basis when we talk about goals or, or what we're setting ourselves to go for. I sometimes wonder if, if we set the goals too big and don't actually look at, look at how we can get them, just the, the tiny improvements. You think that's something that, 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 that's almost pushed on us, that everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, everybody wants to be a, a star of some kind, and we want something really quickly, whereas just that incremental change will actually be quicker for us all. Yeah. Uh, you know, the old sayings, uh, uh, every great journey begins with a single step. Yep. Uh, one of the things that I tell uh, whenever my, my employees or my business partner uh, is faced with a big challenge or a task, uh, I, I use this thing, and he, he laughs at it now. Even if I bring it up, uh, I say, how do you eat an elephant? one bite at a time yeah. uh, so even now when i say how do you eat he says all right i know one bite at a time i don't even have to finish it uh but yeah you know uh every every journey if i want to go from point a to point b you know you just can't uh, like in star trek you know telecommute yourself over there you've yeah. got to make the journey step by step you know block by block, mile by mile. Uh, and I think people who are overly impatient to get there uh, m possibly put too much pressure and stress on themselves, their family, and their, their team. 
Yeah, and I, I also think that sometimes people maybe give up a little bit too early because they're not recognizing what they are what they are doing really well. So exactly. back onto the technology. So this was this was probably a little step at the time. It was one of those things that just that you just saw. So what technology do you think is out there now that could be a game changer for speakers and facilitators? Do you think there's anything there or coming up? Yeah, there is. Uh, well, of course, what we're doing right here. Zoom. Absolutely. This is uh, uh, so many speakers. You know, here we are in, uh, in the middle of COVID-19, uh, which has been earth shattering uh, for the speaking profession. Uh, so many of my speaker buddies and colleagues uh, have had this, you know, revenue source pulled from beneath them. There's no live meetings going on, uh, you know, face-to-face -face meetings. Uh, in fact, I have a meeting coming up uh, next month in Nashville, Tennessee, but but they told me, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna go virtual now because we can't have a meeting with all of our association. Uh, so what I'm doing instead of doing Zoom like we're doing right now, uh, I. I do best when I can stand up and deliver. Yeah. So I'm actually going into a studio. Uh, I'm doing it tomorrow, by the way, at 2, 2 p.m. Uh, Pacific. I'm going into a studio. I am filming my speech. Uh, I'm having in post-production, uh, you know, any slides put in. I'll have the logo of the company. I have a green screen behind me so I can put any, you know, image I want behind me. But I'm up talking uh and it just the, the energy is different you know yeah. uh you know if i were right now standing up talking to you uh, i probably would have more animation and maybe even a little bit more uh, uh intonation in my voice I, I don't know but uh that's what that's that's what i'm gonna do now we can take it further uh, you've actually probably seen that there have actually been concerts uh, yeah. where they brought Elvis Presley and uh, Michael Jackson and, you know, uh, Tupac, uh, and, and they've done it through, uh, what do they call that? I know that it's like a 3D imagery. So yeah, it's a 3D a, image, yeah. a holographic. Uh, holographic, image. that's it. So is it possible that, Speakers can do that. And, and I will tell you about three or four years ago at one of the annual National Speakers Association uh, meetings, events, one of our Hall of Fame speakers got up on the platform. He performs a lot with guitar and sings and everything, but a, a definitely a, a motivational speaker. And he said, you know, I always wanted to play uh, uh you know, guitar with myself. And so he literally brought a holographic image where he communicated with his own holographic image on stage. And it was just eye-opening. Now, it, it obviously was a, a bit expensive for most speakers to do, but uh, I think that's something that definitely is coming down the road, maybe sooner than later with... Uh, uh, what's happening in the world with with live meetings. So who knows? 
Well, it's interesting because, I mean, this this week um, and, and even this evening after this, I'm working in Sydney, Australia from New York. I'll be working in South Africa and the UK. Um, I'm doing different types of training and, and sales meetings. I just wonder as a professional speaker. So the training, I agree with you, I've got to stand up. We've got to get the energy going. And there is that interaction. Just wondering as a speaker, when you're doing the holographic or you're, you're pre-recording, how much do you miss that interaction, especially with your style? Yeah, my the style, audience. yeah, my style truly, truly feeds off the audience. So Absolutely. Yeah, there is something that that's lost there. Uh, but you know, there there's technology today. It actually exists where you could be in a studio. There there could be screens, and yeah. and you see the audience wherever they are, and they see you. You see them. You can ask questions. They can communicate. It's almost like giving, almost, not quite, a live talk. You can see the people. You can see them laughing and smiling. Uh, you know, so it, 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 it's getting a lot better. I, uh, I'm part of a group, a mastermind group. Uh, one of the members of this group is from uh, Scotland. Uh, another one from Germany, South Africa, Australia, uh, two from the United States, etc. One, uh, 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 trying to think, uh, one from, I said Germany. So anyway, uh, we had one of our members do a presentation with Zoom where he showed us what he has built in his home, where it's multi-camera, it's multi-screen, it's different lighting, he has a, 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 a switcher that he can press different buttons where slides can come up, video examples can come up. Uh, he could, you know, change screens, I mean, or, or cameras, excuse me. Uh, really, it was unbelievable. And I'm saying to myself, this, I mean, look, look at what we're doing right now. This is uh, really a simple Zoom meeting. His is a multimedia presentation, and it costs several thousands of dollars. But, you know, as a speaker, you know, we get $15,000, $25,000 for a speech. One speech, you can set up your whole house to do that. Now, the, the question is, why don't I have it? And, and the reason is, back in two, yeah, 2000, uh, I made a major Another major decision, like I made in 1978. 78, I decided I'm, I'm leaving yep. academia and I'm going to be a full-time speaker. And I have to tell you that speaking, you know, I was averaging about 100 paid speeches a year all over the world, and it was burning me out. I, I, I have 12.5 million frequent flyer miles. That's how much I have flown. And I, I, I just was burned out. So in 2000... I went to my head of marketing, and her name is Holly, and I said, Holly, you know, I've, I've hinted about this with you. We've chatted about it, although, you know, we never knew if or when it was going to come, but it's going to come this year. Uh, this was the beginning of 2020, and in August of 2020, I spun off my entire speaking business, employees, the office, the computers, the database, everything. And I said, this is yours. Uh, and what I'm, I'm going to do now is you'll still do for me what you 
have been doing for me, but I'm only going to pay you percentages. So what I did is I offloaded all this fixed overhead mm -hmm. and made it variable. Only paid when I got a speech, only paid when they sold my product, my books, my tapes, et cetera. Yeah. And then I got them three other speakers. Uh, today, she has like 16 speakers, including uh, Brene Brown, you know, who's a well, big to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, at, at the beginning, I was the biggest speaker. Now I'm just a little, you know. <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. Um, but we need we need to go to a break. Um, after okay. the break, we will get to the psychology, the selling and business, and really, what was it that hooked you into that, and where has that taken you? You're listening to the Mind Behind Leadership with me, Graham Dobbin. We're speaking with Dr. Tony Alessandra. We'll be right back after these. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Back. You're listening to the Mind Behind Leadership. We are with Dr. Tony Alessandra. Um, as we mentioned before, I'm really interested why the psychology of selling in business? Um, this seemed to be a hot topic kind of the early 70s coming through in the 80s and NLP coming through and a whole host of other things. We were beginning more self-awareness. Where did you come into with this? Well, I all the way through my college courses, I took psychology courses and it just intrigued me. I was very interested in it. And uh, then when I was in my doctoral program, again in 1974, I, uh, I went to this workshop 
in somebody's home. And they were doing a little presentation about uh, social styles, the four behavioral styles. Uh, the social styles were the expressive, the amiable, the analytical, and the driver. And I looked at this and I said, this is my future. I love it. I was just blown away by it. And in fact, I went to uh, Dr. David Schwartz, my dissertation chairman, and I said, I want to do my dissertation on this topic. And he said, absolutely not. Uh, you had your dissertation uh, proposal accepted. Just go do that. And when you get your PhD and leave here, then if you want to pursue that other thing, pursue it, which is exactly what I did. Uh, and so I started doing more research and writing on the subject and then created my own uh, assessment, a paper-based assessment, which I called the Platinum Rule uh, and sold, I mean, tens of, and upon tens of thousands of copies of that. And then in 96, uh, I decided when my Platinum Rule book came out, I decided to put the Platinum Rule assessment online. It was the first online Okay. And I allowed people to take it for free. And about 10,000 people a month were taking it for free. It won a Webby Award, which is sort of like an Oscar uh, uh, on the Internet. Uh, I, I, got, uh, I was the uh, website of the week in USA Today. Uh, wow. You name it. I mean, it really, really took off. And uh, so then let's go to 2000 when I told Holly – uh, that I'm going to spin off my speaking business to her and, and just have her book me, et cetera. I said that what I'm going to do is I'm going to build this assessment business into an actual business. Because up to that point, I was having everybody take the assessment for free, hoping they'd buy my other products. But mm -hmm. in 2000, I decided, you know what? I'm going to take my speaking revenue, not all of it, but a, a good amount of it, and I'm going to actually create uh, an assessment platform. And I looked, I looked out. First of all, I got this young kid, 22 years old. Uh, and I said, I want you to help. I want you to program this for me. Uh, that was in 2000. Here we are, you know, 20 years later. He is my CEO of the company. Wow. That's, that's how much he has grown. Uh, Brandon Parker, incredible story about how that guy came from 22 to, to running my company now. And he's uh, a significant part owner of that company because he just has been incredible. But uh, as that assessment business grew, I started slowly cutting back on the number of speeches I was giving. So in 99, I did 99 paid speeches. And as we went on, I would go down to 80 and 70 and 60. And here we are in 2020, and I do zero. Uh, and it's not that I do, I, I shouldn't say I do zero. I just mentioned earlier that I'm doing a speech uh, in a studio tomorrow. But I don't have to do any. And, right. and I really, I don't necessarily want to do any. You know, I don't mind doing it like, let's say, Zoom or in a studio but uh, this, this assessment business has really taken off and it's uh, the revenue of, of this assessment business is multiples of what my best year of speaking was. And just imagine, you know, I was, what I was earning in speaking 
yeah. it, uh, this, this business is great. And I can run the assessment business literally from anywhere where I can have high speed internet and, and a computer. So I, I love it. Uh, but uh, it's that psych the psychology just hooked me. And it wasn't just building the psychology into sales and into service and into relationships, but then building it into this assessment business. And boy, the, by, by the way, Graham, my first customer talk about, I don't know, maybe I have an angel on one shoulder. I don't know. <laughs> but my first customer was Ken Blanchard, the author of the wow. One Minute Manager. So yeah. that really, really helped me. And, you know, now uh, uh, not only do we do business with Ken Blanchard, but we uh, are the assessment provider for numerous uh, companies and training companies and even big name speakers like Brian Tracy, Grant Cardone, Tony Robbins. They all do their assessment business through my assessments, you know, assessments 24-7. So uh, it, it really... There's one that you mentioned earlier, the kind of the, the, the flagship for you, the platinum rule. It's all about treating others how they want to be treated. When did you realize that the golden rule wasn't enough? Uh, probably back uh, in the 70s, uh, in the early 70s. I, I just said, you know, the golden rule. Uh, you know, I'm very aware, of course, being Italian, you know, that old saying, when in Rome, do as the Romans. Uh, yep which really basically said, hey, when you are in that country, you need to adapt and adjust. You can't be, quote, the ugly American, you know, dealing like an American in Italy. It won't work. Uh, and one of the examples that I use is that, you know, if you were going on a business trip and one day you were in Italy, you know, trying to make sales, and the next day you were in Germany trying to make sales, would you behave exactly the same way? The answer is no, you wouldn't. You need to adapt. Uh, and, and there is the platinum rule. Treat people the way they want and need to be treated. Adjust your style. The whole concept is adaptability. You don't become something different. You, you, it, it's almost like learning to speak another language. Instead of linguistically, you're speaking a language behaviorally. That's it. Um. Just very briefly, we're about we're about to go to the final break. Uh, I'm just wondering, when we look at assessments, a lot of that is about how we adapt, as you say, in, in different areas with different people. Is there any conflict there where we're adapting our style to others um, rather than being, is there any conflict with us being authentic, do you think? No, I think, for instance, let's say that you are a smoker and you are you have a business meeting and you know in advance through your, your research that the person you're calling on is an avowed non-smoker, what would you do? Would you ask, do you mind if I smoke? Or would you not even attempt to smoke? Does that make you a different person? Does that make you a, a chameleon or whatever? It doesn't. What you are doing is taking on a little bit of personal tension and stress mm -hmm. in order to reduce the interpersonal stress. You know, I have four kids. We can get into this after the break, but I have four kids, all four styles, uh, dominant, <laughs> interactive, 
uh, steady and conscientious. And I've learned you got to deal with them differently. Was that deliberate? Four kids? No, Just no, it wasn't. It wasn't but it, 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 and even if it was, to get one of each style was like hitting the lottery. <laughs> Um, you're listening to the Mind Behind Leadership uh, with me, Graham Dobbin. We're speaking with Dr. Tony Alessandra, and we will come and we'll join you right after these messages. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Are you a curious person, always asking questions? Do you desire to be in the know? Then join me, Antonia, host of So Now You Know, Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Listen in as I attempt to satisfy that curiosity. I will be talking with amazing everyday people. Join the fun. So Now You Know on Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Welcome back. You're listening to talkradio.nyc. We're with Dr. Tony Alessandra. Um, when we talk about assessments, you talk about the assessment center. Uh, I'm just kind of tying it back into what we're going through at the moment. There's lots of teams, things have changed, and we're trying to understand. One of, one of the discussions I'm having on a regular basis now is about taking the guesswork out of what's happening. Because we've got teams that are all virtual, you know, the, whatever teams left in March is not the same now, regardless of where, where we're sitting, whether it's in the office or not. What, what's your thoughts on that? And how do, how do you see that having an assessment into the, the behavioral styles or thought processes of our team would help there? All right. So uh, one of our, our most popular assessments is an assessment called DISC, D-I-S-C. Uh, it's sort of like the social styles assessment that I learned yeah. in, in the early 70s. Uh, it stands for dominance, influence, steadiness, and conscientiousness. Uh, and, and that is crucial so that each member of the team understands what their strengths and struggles are, particularly in dealing with people who have different styles, different strengths, different struggles. Uh, right now, with, with COVID right now, where so many people have been laid off, so many people have possibly lost their jobs. Uh, but as things get better, companies now need to make some decisions. Decision number one, uh, 
do I hire back any of the people that I furloughed? Uh, and if so, which people? Number two, uh, I have some employees. Uh, do I want to keep them in their present position because I really value them? Or do I want to move them into another position where they'd be more successful? And number three, now that many businesses, uh, whether they're full or partially virtual with their employees, now I can hire people not just in my city or state, but I can hire employees from all over the world. So now, how do I determine who I want to rehire, who I want to move into different positions, and who I want to, or how and do I get candidates from around the world who can work remotely, uh, but make sure that I'm hiring the right people because it is so incredibly expensive to hire the wrong person, so incredibly expensive to not hire the right person and have them get hired by a competitor. Uh, so one of our assessments, which is called Higher Sense, H-I-R-E-S-E-N-S-E, Higher Sense, it's a, it's a combination of three different assessments, DISC, Motivators, and Hartman uh, Value Profile. Mm-hmm. And it, it really almost takes the guesswork out of which employees or which candidates are going to be successful. It's not, and I'm going to say this out loud, it is not the only tool you use in hiring or, or, you know, uh, relocating an employee. It is another, as they say, an arrow in your quiver, just another thing. In addition to their, their resume, the interview, the recommendations from former employers, uh, their work experience, their education, but, you know, so many of those things are very subjective. When somebody's in an interview, so many people have been coached and they put on their best, you know, uh, their best self. Uh, a resume, people have jokingly called a resume a balance sheet with no debits. Because do you ever <laughs> talk about great. something negative on a resume? Absolutely. Uh, you know, so... What, what what this higher sense or assessments, you know, there are other assessments, but what the, what it does is it is it inserts some odd objectivity into the hiring process. Uh, and we have uh, examples of uh, people using higher sense and getting an, an incredible, employee that they are just saying, I cannot believe that we we hit the jackpot with this. We even had uh, an example recently, this is a recent example, where somebody said, you know, we have an employee that is not working out. Uh, and we said, look, I'll tell you what we'll do. Let us give you this higher sense assessment, have that employee take it, and we will tell you uh, about this employee. And so the employee took the assessment, we uh, went on with their boss and said, uh, here are the issues you're probably having. And they said, that is exactly the problems we are having. Why didn't I use you before we hired this employee? Because we probably never would have hired him. So assessments, they, they do a variety of things. Right now with the COVID and, and hiring, that's a biggie. 
but the whole teamwork and, and you know, now we're spread out, uh, uh, you know, and we have to do teams virtually. Virtual teams are very different than in-person teams, but even with in-person teams, how do we get the most where one plus one plus one plus one on a team equals five or 10 and not two or three, uh, where we're working together, uh, where the, the, the parts are greater than, than the whole, so to speak. So uh, it's just, it, it's fascinating to me. You know, my, my intrigue and interest early on in psychology and what I'm doing today, it's just, it's magical. It really is. Um, th- th- this time is flying by. It's absolutely flying by. We've only got about five minutes left. And one of the things I really want to touch on is an author of 30 books. Now, the books are primarily around the psychology of selling and business and assessing. Um, most people think they've got a book in them. Some people write a book, but you've done 30. How did you do that? What was the starting point? Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a driven person. The starting point was my very first book, which uh, was called Non-Manipulative Selling. And in the mm-hmm. early days, in the mid-70s, uh, I was doing a lot of workshops. And I would have to do handouts for these workshops. And, and each time we did a workshop, uh, we'd update the, uh, the handouts. And the handouts became bigger and bigger and bigger. And I said, you know what? We have a lot here. Let's make it into a book, which we did. That came out. Interestingly enough, I told you that I left the academic environment in December of 78, went full-time in January of 79 as a speaker. Non-manipulative selling the book came out in January of 79. And it became a business card for me. Uh, Then with that book, I went to, and this is literally just before I left academia, with that book, I went to my uh, uh, fellow faculty member who was uh, a leadership uh, professor. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? Take a look at this book. Don't you think we can do something and put a twist on it so that instead of sales, it's leadership? And he looked at it and he said, absolutely, we can do that. That became the art of managing people. Ironically, although I'm known best for relationship skills and selling skills and even service skills, my number one selling book, which has sold over a quarter of a million copies, is The Art of Managing People that I did with Dr. Phil Hunsaker. It's amazing. Uh, so it just led another book, another book. Uh, a lot of them have been co-authored with one or two other people. I even did one with Ivan Meisner and... Uh, 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 we were just talking about Ivan. He's yeah. going to be coming on the show in about three weeks' time as well. Exactly. So I did, I did a book with Ivan uh, and, uh, you know, a lot, just a lot of different people that, uh, you know, two heads are better than one and yeah. you know, getting their perspective. And I'm just, again, I, I uh, am a driven person. I'm a, a high D, very dominant, uh, driven. So uh, that's why I've done so m- many of these books. It's, it's kind of crazy. Just to finish this off tonight, you've got a lot. You've got a lot of ideas, thoughts, opinions about leadership. And just in the last couple of minutes, what do you think the kind of the top three traits should be for leaders? What do you see as is the things that maybe stand someone out and maybe a common thread? Okay, I would I would think of a really good leader, as well as a really good parent. By the way, would be, <laughs> would be their listening and feedback skills. 
really being able to listen to people and, and, and uh, trying not to jump in and solve problems. I think vision is important, your, your vision of, of the future, your resilience, your bounce back. Uh, you know, we're all hit with things. Hey, COVID now, you know, and all the things around that. So resilience, how do you bounce back uh, when you're, you're hit with some setback? Uh, one of my mantras is this too shall pass. And, and whenever anything negative happens to me, I'm always saying to myself, this too shall pass. So I, I really think that, that uh, that's crucial focus, making sure I don't get, uh, or a leader doesn't get pulled in different directions. You know, if there is a goal, if there's a, a direction, if there's something I'd like to accomplish, let's make sure that we're all on the same page. And last, especially in today's environment, uh, but it's always been important, is tolerance. Yep. Tolerance. Uh, tolerance of differences in people, differences in race, religion, gender, uh, generation, you know, baby boomers and Gen X, Gen Y. So all those are absolutely crucial for a good leader today. Dr. Tony Alessandra has been fascinating. I could speak with you all evening, but we've run out of time. Thank you so much for coming on. I would like to think we could maybe get you on again at some point and just talk about some of the other things that you've been up to. Dr. Tony Alessandra, thanks for being on the Mind Behind Leadership here live on talkradio.nyc. My pleasure, Graham. Thank you. ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. I am Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Hey, all you crazy listeners, looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Are you a curious person always asking questions? Do you desire to be in the know? Then join me, Antonia, host of So Now You Know, Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Listen in as I attempt to satisfy that curiosity. 
I will be talking with amazing everyday people. Join the fun. So now you know on Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. 